Hi there, and welcome to this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. It's perhaps our most crucial challenge of all as we seek to live the spiritual life, and it's to understand that the true purpose of that life is to serve others and to serve the Lord. Based on Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 28, and Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, and finishing up our current sermon series we've been calling Resolutions of the Spiritual Life, this is the message entitled, Improve Your Serve. Well, there's actually a whole bunch of reasons that I absolutely love our text for this morning. But let me just tell you up front that maybe the biggest reason I love this text is, to quote an old Down Easter I used to know back in the day, it makes me some tickled to discover that those disciples just didn't get it. Mind you, it's not that I'm delighting in their failure or their ignorance, but there is nonetheless some satisfaction in knowing this is proof positive that if these followers of Jesus could be so clueless as to the big picture, then there is certainly room for the rest of us to lose our perspective as well. It's a very familiar story. In fact, some of you might remember that I preached on Mark's version of this story a few months back. But there is something about the way that Matthew tells the story that draws me in time after time. And this is really another reason that I absolutely love this text. It, here, it's the mother of James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, who comes to Jesus asking for a favor for her two sons, both of whom, and I didn't really notice this before, both of whom, by the way, are right there beside her as she's asking for this favor, and that speaks volumes. Declare, she says, that these two sons of mine will sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. (laughs) I mean, you can almost hear her adding these words. They're good boys, Jesus. They deserve it. Can't you see what you have here? Now, this is what is referred to in the Yiddish tradition as chutzpah. Chutzpah, by definition, a bold and audacious move fueled by pure ambition, not to mention a huge desire for prestige and honor. And it comes off as having a lot of gall, really. And, well, it's pretty undisciple-like. And what makes it even worse <clears throat> is that it all comes on the heels of Jesus having once again just explained to the disciples what was just about to unfold up in Jerusalem. They're on their way to Jerusalem now. The triumphal entry is only days away. And, and so Jesus explains it. I think for the third time in Matthew, what's going to happen there And this explains why Jesus responds to James and John and mom by saying, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I'm about to drink? And why? All this tells you why when the boys answer that question in 
yet another example of brazen chutzpah. They actually say, believe it or not, sure, why not? We can drink that cup. Jesus then has to explain that even if they're going to drink his cup, as to the matter of awarding places of honor, that's not up to him. My father, Jesus says, is taking care of that. But even that's not the end of the story. It ought to be, really. Jesus has sort of laid them low, sent the mother away packing amazingly, I guess, but, but that's not the end of the story because what happens next, as the message renders it, is that when the ten other disciples heard about this, they lost their tempers, thoroughly disgusted with the two brothers. Now, we're not told here if their disgust is rooted in what the brothers in league with their mommy had just done, or if, in fact, they were secretly wishing they thought of it first. All we know here is that Jesus, once again, had to intervene, explaining to the whole twelve that following him was never to be about personal achievement, not self-glorification, but Rather, says Jesus, whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. Like I said before, those disciples just didn't get it. And actually, it's kind of amazing that they didn't get it. I mean, here's James and John, along with all the rest of them now, walking with Jesus day in and day out for the better part of three years with Jesus. They are so close to Christ and his kingdom that now they can literally taste it. And yet they were still getting caught up in, guess what? What was in it for them? And yes, I'll say it again. If such a thing could be true for those who were the closest to Jesus, who seemed or at least ought to have understood what this was all about, how much more so could it be for you and I in our spiritual lives to kind of miss the point? Well, as you know, all through this past month, we've been talking here about how the spiritual life is wrapped up in in, in, in many things, first of all, it's wrapped up in knowing and embracing our identity as God's own beloved. And it's about almost continually learning and growing as an apprentice of our Lord as we embrace that identity. It is about how we need to embrace an attitude of divine hope and joy and not negativity or anger. And also, it's about how that ought to impact what we say, and most especially what we do. But there's at least one more challenge for us as we set out in earnest now to make our journeys of faith in 2022. And as I've been thinking about it this week, it, this may well be the most crucial challenge of all. And that is to understand why. Why we're on this walk of faith what our purpose is and what it is not along the way. Because can we truly be honest about this, friends? 
some of us do tend to wear a name tag of Christian as though it were our golden ticket. Proof to everyone all around us that we've already arrived at the place of honor and glory, that we're a Christian, and that we come to expect that as a Christian, we are somehow deserving of, simple, of special treatment simply because we believe. Now, don't misunderstand me at all here, friends. I'm not wanting to diminish the idea that we are embracing hope and, and we are correctly assuming that blessing is a byproduct of following Christ. But you see, to move from an acceptance of divine grace, freely given out of love, to taking a stance that somehow we've earned those blessings, more often than not, you see, makes our relationship with the divine more self-centered than God-centered. In other words, when it comes to faith, when it comes to the spiritual life, we end up thinking in terms of privilege, not sacrifice. It becomes for us all about being served rather than serving. Let me speak some hard truth here. And I speak this to me as well as to all of us. The hard truth is that you and I can be active in church. We can come to worship every Sunday. We can read scripture from cover to cover again and again. We can involve ourselves in all manner of outreach inside and outside these doors. And yet we can completely miss the point of what it's all been for. And in the words of a Georgia pastor by the name of Wiley Stevens, all that kind of activity might well bring us so close to the Holy of Holies. But without understanding the reason for what we're doing, it ceases to be holy at all. Let me give you an example of this. You probably remember how a few years back there was a real fad that grew up around a passage of scripture that is known as the prayer of Jabez. That comes from the Old Testament book of First Chronicles, in which Jabez, descended from the clans of Judah, cried out to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. There was, in fact, a best-selling book. It's still out there. I think it was written by Bruce Wilkinson. I think I have a copy of it in my bookshelf. And it's all about this prayer of Jabez, which in and of itself is a beautiful and appropriate evocation of how God's hand of blessing kept his people from harm and free from pain. But here's the problem. This happened a few years ago now, but you might remember it. it somewhere along the line, that prayer of Jabez came apart of pop culture to the point where a whole lot of people had begun to turn the prayer of Jabez into a quick and easy formula for gaining good things. Essentially, what it claimed is that if you only prayed this prayer exactly as written, then wonderful things are going to happen. You'll get rich. You'll get a job. You'll get everything you ever wanted and then some. And in and all of this, your territory will expand. It came for a while there as though people were seeing this prayer as a magical incantation for success. The very epitome of this, and I actually saw this, was when a member of the musical group NSYNC, 
If you're a child of the 90s, you'll remember NSYNC. You'll remember some of their songs. They still get played on the radio a lot. And they had won a Grammy Award. And they were on the Grammy Awards. And one of the members of the group stood up to the microphone, as performers often do. And he said, and we want to thank God because we owe all of our success to the prayer of Jabez. And, you know, you see that all the time. But then he went on. He said, every day, all the boys in the band pray to God to enlarge our territory by making our new song a big hit and selling out our concert tours. Okay. That's fine, I guess. But do you see the problem with that kind of thinking? Now, I know that none of us here are pop stars and part of the Hollywood elite, and if you are becoming that, I want to talk to you about tithing. <laughs> but the point is that even for you and I who are trying simply to live out our lives and our faith in normal, everyday kind of ways, there is always going to be that real temptation to settle into a receive mode in which all of life becomes about our personal fulfillment when everything, everything becomes about our goals, our ambitions, our dreams about the future. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with that to a point, but when our lives become more and more self-centered, we become less centered on God's purposes for our lives. Another book that has become insanely popular in recent years was by Rick Warren, Warren entitled The Purpose Driven Life, and, and I have read that several times over. Do you know the very first line in that book, what the very first sentence is? It's not about you. <laughs> and Warren goes on to say that while many believe that we are supposed to get the most out of life, that's not the reason God made you. You were created, Warren says, to add to life on earth, not just take from it. God wants to give you to give something back because you were created to serve God. And you see, this applies no matter what you do in your life, whether you work as I do as a pastor or, or whether you teach or whether you drive a truck, whether you pick up garbage, whether you do brain surgery for a living. To quote Warren once again, regardless of your job or your career, you are being called to full-time Christian service. A non-serving Christian is a contradiction of terms. If you aren't serving, you're just existing. Because life is meant for ministry. God wants you to learn to love and serve others unselfishly. At the heart of the spiritual life and our Christian faith is the truth that Jesus calls us all to a life of service. Jesus is calling us, just as he did his disciples, to be servants of all. <laughs> so, friends, you'll understand that it's not about tennis when I say to you this morning that each and every one of us need to resolve to improve our serve. But the question is, and it always is, where do we start? There is certainly, as they like to say in the Midwest, plenty of things that need done. There are abundant needs all around us. 
There are global needs. There are needs right in our own community. There are needs within our own circle of faith, friends, to which you and I can and should offer up some kind of loving response. But that having been said, I would suggest to you that, that perhaps the greater challenge is about motivation. Remember how we spoke a couple weeks back about the importance of a good attitude? Well, let me just say to us all, lovingly, that where improving our serve is concerned, there are a lot of us who could certainly use an attitude adjustment. So that the things we do so that the ministries we share, so that the challenges we are accepting as God's people in this place put God in the center rather than our own egos. For me, a key to this is found in our other text for this morning that Sarah shared with us, coming from Ephesians. And it's Paul's reminder to any of us who would labor under the delusion that we're the ones in charge, that it is by grace that we've been saved by faith. And this is not of our own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not in any way, shape, or form by our own works. So none of us can say, contrary to those familiar words of W.E. Hensley, that we are the masters of our faith, that we are the captains of our soul. Because in the end, you see, for all our strength and all our skill in the end, and I'm reading this particular verse from the New International Version of Scripture, in the end, we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Don't you love that? We are God's handiwork. Actually, even better, I think, is, is the translation that comes from the old King James Version of the Bible. There we are told that we are God's workmanship. <laughs> I do love that. Either way, friends, however you read the English translation, the word actually comes from the original Greek poema, which, as you might have already guessed, is where we get our word poem. It's also translated into English as a work of art as a masterpiece. So you see what God is saying here is that in Jesus Christ, you and I are created to be God's poetry, God's masterpiece created for the sake of God's good works, not ours, for the sake of love and service extended to the world and amongst his people. And if you want another, yet another translation for that, let me share with you what's in the message. It says there, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, the work we had better be doing. Well, I would say to you this morning that the very first step in doing the work we had better be doing is to recognize that each one of us, from the moment of our creation, has been shaped and prepared to spend our lives helping others, bringing others to the love of God in Christ Jesus by our example, through our prayer, by God's grace. 
And when we embrace that purpose with humility, with gladness, living unto that calling in and through all the vocations of our lives and living, not only do we find our own joy, but here's the thing, others will find in us the beauty and the wonder of this divine poet who is God Almighty. You know, I think you'll agree with me if, that if the past couple of years have taught us anything at all, it's that there will always be choices to be made with decidedly uncertain outcomes. Getting a little tired of that, actually, but there you are. Also, that there will ever and always be new challenges before us at home, with our work, in our families, at church, and in how we are supposed to somehow deal with all the strange and mournful days in which we live. But you see, when you consider all that, here's the thing. If we truly understand our Christian faith as applying to every aspect of our lives, and it should, and if we see everyday life as the spiritual life that we are called to live, then we also know that after all is said and done, our priorities will always have to shift from ourselves and unto God. This God who has made us, who has created in Christ, who created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So that truly, in the words of that old hymn, that we fail not man nor thee, that we face this hour, that we live these days, that we walk in the spirit with everything that we have and in everything that we do. Be it resolved in all of these things and so much more that we really seek to live the spiritual life. And may our thanks be to God. Amen. And that's the message entitled, Improve Your Serve. It's the conclusion of our current sermon series we've been calling Resolutions of the Spiritual Life. And it was recorded during our February the 6th service of worship at East Congregational Church in Concord, New Hampshire. And by the way, if you'd like to be a part of one of those services live and in person, we would love to have you come. We gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road. That's just off exit 16 on I-93 in Concord. Or you can always join us for one of these services live online via Facebook Live on our East Congregational Church Facebook page and afterwards on our East Church YouTube channel. However it happens for you, we'd love to have you be with us and I think you'll be glad you came. And with that, we come to the close now of another episode of this Love to Tell the Story podcast. I'm Michael Lowry, and I do thank you for listening today. And until next time, stay safe, be well, and may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.